G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast uh, Thursday edition. I won't uh, put a round in front of this because uh, the round we're talking about, round nine primarily, has already started and uh, we uh, are off and running in this crazy period of 33 games across 20 days. So, um, our podcast is going to look a little bit different as a result, which uh, I'll explain when we get to it. But, uh, wow, it's just a massive overdose of footy and we're going to help take you through it over these next few weeks. As I say, very good morning to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you going, Fine? I'm well, very well, and uh, enjoyed football last night. Very pleased that you didn't take up the Fox footy naming of the next 19 days of football. Um, I imagine Sarah Jones was under instruction last night or under commission or on commission to say Fox footy frenzy as many times as possible. But no, it's just going to be 19 more days of great football and call it what you will. Well, I've been uh, I've been involved with the ESPN podcast and they're calling it Footy Fest, which I like a bit more. Um uh, probably timely that no one's called it footy fever right at the moment. Yeah, but, no, um, yeah. <laughs> very good. It is uh, It is certainly a busy period. So we're not going to mess around today. We're going to get straight into it. But before we do that, finally, there's a couple of very important backers of this program we need to mention. That's right. It's a food frenzy. <laughs> it's just fantastic food at Andrew's Hamburgers, let's keep it simple today. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. You want great hamburgers, whether we're in lockdown, whether we're allowed to travel freely, which we hope will be the case again sooner rather than later. Head to 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park for the best burgers in town. 81 years young, doesn't that say it all? And for a great house rebuild, West Point Properties. Southeastern inner suburban rebuilds and uh, plenty of footy favourites have chosen Nick Spartels as their builder. I'm talking about Scott Pendlebury, Dyson Heppel, both unfortunately have time off at the moment, and Mike Sheen, who always has a bit of time off, but they all live in great houses, all West Point property builds. I think Mike will probably resent that, but uh, not to worry. Uh, All right, well, we mean business today, as you can tell by uh, the unusual uh, uh, quickness of those plugs. Uh, let's get straight into it. On Footyology, Newsfeed. Rightio, well, uh, as has been the case all season, really, there's uh, news uh, tied up with the pandemic. Uh, of course, this is a unreal, slightly unreal situation with the hubs going on, but uh, we keep getting transgressions of what you have to say, a very tight regulations concerning um, the quarantine arrangements for players and their families. So uh, 
Um, papers reporting this morning, both Richmond and Carlton set to be handed hefty fines by the AFL for breaches. Uh, in Richmond's case, it was allegedly the family member of a Richmond player found to have visited a beauty salon and then returned to their hub. Uh, Carlton being investigated. This one's interesting. Uh, the alleged the grandparents of a senior player's children uh, took the ch young child uh, to an amusement park on the Gold Coast, taken to SeaWorld and then returned to the hub. Um, I guess people in Queensland at the moment not quite across the uh, strictness of those regulations. And the other one, um, North Melbourne, uh, this is, sounds more like a misunderstanding. Actually, North Melbourne believed it had permission from the AFL to send a busload of wives and girlfriends to the Gabba last Saturday to watch their um, partners and husbands play in the game against Carlton. And the league saw social media posts and contacted the club to ask why they'd been allowed to attend. Um, so hopefully for the ruse, that one will be smoothed over, but uh, they're not going to come down too hard, I think, in terms of suspensions. We're talking about what could be some fairly hefty fines. More importantly, though, fining... I heard there will be suspensions. That kid's not allowed to go back to SeaWorld. That girlfriend is not allowed to go back to the beauty salon. And all those could, North Melbourne wives... could have dire consequences. Yeah, all the North Melbourne wives and girlfriends agree after seeing North play against Carlton and only kick two goals, they are now quite comfortable... Uh, not being allowed to go to the game, so no problems there. Well, they did kick more than two goals. Well, you reckon they only against, stayed around for the first quarter? Against Carlton? Yeah. Oh, I thought that was the... Oh, North Melbourne Carlton, didn't North Melbourne perform terribly that afternoon? No, that was last weekend and they nearly won. Oh, sorry, I was thinking the weekend before. Who did they kick two goals against? Richmond. There, yeah, I've got my co I've got my COVID misbehaviors mixed up. You're right, not as bad last week. Yes, they want to go back, but they're not allowed. Well, the uh, the more serious ramifications with this though are Queensland's starting to get a bit nervous about um, Victorians in their midst um, after two people who arrived from Victoria via New South Wales didn't stay in quarantine, tested positive, and uh, the AFL understandably nervous about all this because they're desperate to keep the Queensland government happy. So uh, the Sunshine State can continue to be the centre of AFL activities. Yeah, I mean, first of all, let's make something clear. Those two girls whose behaviour was reprehensible on a number of schools were not Victorians. They were Queenslanders who had gone to Victoria allegedly to shoplift and wanted to sneak back into Queensland and lied in doing so. And now they've eaten at a Thai restaurant and they've been to a shopping centre. So hopefully, and the Queensland health official that I heard early this morning on radio speaking, saying that, you know, if if 10 is as serious a breach as is possible, this was nine. So they are really watching the numbers over the next few days. Of course, we have a situation now where Sydney is considered a hotspot, so Queensland are locking all Sydney-siders out of entering Queensland from Saturday morning, 1am Saturday morning, which means that 
Sydney and GWS quickly have to be positioned and, and have to manoeuvre themselves and get to Queensland, organise themselves, get to Queensland before that 1am lockout on Saturday morning, so Friday night basically. Well, like we said, this is an ever-shifting situation and, you know, as recently as a couple of days ago, I was involved in a discussion with people sort of saying, well, why are we having this footy fest? You know, why are they cramming so much now given that there's still plenty of room at the back end of a season? Well, you know, fingers crossed we, this isn't the case, but you may be soon to see why because, uh, you know, if Queensland now gets shut down, well, we're in serious logistical trouble and uh, there may be another pause in the season. So... Fingers crossed that isn't the case, but uh, gee, it's been, I'll tell you what, the end of this all finding, someone at the AFL who's organising the fixturing and the scheduling and the hasty rescheduling of games, like we saw the uh, North Melbourne and Melbourne, I think, taken from Tasmania to Adelaide as a result of Tasmanian quarantine restrictions. Um, You know, they keep saying they have to be flexible and agile and, uh, those qualities being demonstrated. I think so far, given all the circumstances, they've done a pretty good job. Brilliant job. I mean, really, you know, we've got the season functional, albeit in a very different form, but I think Australia-wide it's appreciated. I certainly uh, appreciate it. Those couple of my kids who love football appreciate it. My family, sisters, their families love football. And it's a really, in what has become... A very much Groundhog Day existence. Football is the point of difference for hundreds of, no, millions of Australians. And it's functioning well with, with the match review officer and all those things are operational, umpires and officials. And I think it's been a brilliant effort so far and hopefully we can complete a season. All right, let's move on. Uh, another story bubbling along over the last few days which emerged out of a podcast uh, which is being released about the famous uh, Hawthorne and Melbourne merger or non-merger of 1996 and it was the uh, explosive quote unquote allegations from former Hawk great Don Scott about a uh, slush fund the Hawks allegedly set up via I think it was Tasmanian bank accounts to pay their star players and uh, the extension of that being that when the Hawks won that slew of premierships in the uh, mid to late 80s, uh, they were cheating the salary cap. Now, I must say my reaction to this has been a bit sort of, oh, well, interesting, but no great surprise because I'd be more surprised to hear a list of the clubs that weren't cheating the salary or top clubs that weren't cheating the salary cap in that era because the salary cap had only just been introduced, of course, and the fair to say the policing of it given relative to today's standards was pretty lax. What was your reaction to that story? My first thought was what a little bit of the boy who cried wolf here, because of course, Don Scott has been in the papers recently for all the wrong reasons with his podcast that Mike Sheen dropped out of. Of course, um, sort of uh, downplaying or not downplaying, actually being uh, quite insulting towards the Black Lives Matter movement and, of course, uh, then the Nicky Widmar situation. So, unfortunately, my first reaction was, well, Don, 
looking for another headline, mate. You've fired a few shots that have really not impressed too many people. Is this now another desperate attempt to be relevant? But then again, he's a true Hawthorne man, and I imagine that there is some veracity in what he says. And as you said, this is at the very beginning of the salary cap, and I almost get a sense that back then it was sort of optional. It was a suggested cap, even though it was the salary cap. It was not really policed, was it? No, and the the thing about the story that doesn't appear to stack up to me, and it was Ross Oakley, former AFL chief executive, sort of alluded to this. One of the elements to this story is that former Hawthorne president Phil Ryan, the late Phil Ryan, who went on to become the VFL, then VFL's, uh, you know, overlord of player payments, is alleged to have gone to the Hawks and said, listen, we know you're cheating the salary cap, stop it. And uh, they didn't. Um, And Ross Oakley claims, you know, he never heard any of this. And I must say, I mean, having dealt with uh, Phil Ryan a little bit myself, I mean, he was a a pretty upstanding man uh, who had a great reputation, very nearly became uh, president of the VFL, uh, was between he and Alan Aylott for that job, um, and a widely respected and, you know, a man of integrity. So I would be very surprised if that were the case. Um, and Ross Oakley certainly, you know, I, I can't see any reason why Ross Oakley, if he knew about this, wouldn't sort of, you know, uh, would be still covering it up, you know, 35 years later and he he was basically rebutting most of the claims made although again Robert Walls back in the early 90s coaching the Brisbane Lions named Hawthorne as a club that went over the salary cap but you know I mean if you're a younger person and you don't remember this era too well there there, there weren't too many uh, rules and regulations that were followed uh, either to the letter or much at all in those days were there? No and and it's completely different to what we have now in the salary cap, which is the basically the starting point for a fair competition. But back then, there were teams that had and teams that had not, and generally teams that were successful had access to more money. And even as a supporter of a side that was basically broke at the time, St Kilda, there was no sense of foul play that Hawthorne had a list full of good players and may or may not be subscribing to the salary cap because, as I said, back then, there really wasn't that sense of an even playing field. The first few drafts weren't taken seriously and I don't think the salary cap was taken all that seriously. So looking at it through 2020 eyes, that I'm talking about the year, not the vision, but looking at it now, it seems like a very serious infraction, one that could almost cost to side premierships. But believe you me, and we're both saying this, back then it wasn't high on the agenda of any football supporter. There was no sense of foul play, even if teams were spending more than they were supposed to. All right, well, uh, just to stay on the theme of player payments uh, and put a more contemporary spin on it, and just to finish this segment off... uh, One major newspaper, the Herald Sun, has uh, been going all week with a list of uh, the AFL's, what was it, top 100 paid players. I've got to say, Fonny, my eyes always glaze over a bit with this stuff. I've never been remotely interested in what 
players are earning. And I don't know what sort of traction this series has had, whether the, there is a lot of interest or not. Um, what's been your reaction to Absolutely it? irrelevant. Completely irrelevant. First of all, more interesting to me is the bottom 300 players, not the top 100, because you'll see some teams down the bottom of the ladder you know, that aren't winning games that have to fill out their salary cap with some pretty beefy wages. They're more interesting than sort of the star players and what they get their turn. It's We know that there are big salaries out there. Interestingly, Paul Marsh, who's the um, AFL Players Association CEO, said, and he said this on radio, on SEN, 75% of those players, the band, the payment band they're in is incorrect. And that makes the AFL Players Association... Uh, upset, not concerned, because he just said it's it's just not an article that people should be buying into because it's three quarters completely wrong. Yeah, interesting timing of that. I, I, you know, I'd love to know sort of who was behind pushing for that and, and the reasons why. But uh, there you go. May interest some people. Doesn't appear to interest us very much. All right, there's enough news for this week. Uh, round nine has already begun. One game down, and uh, I think we should review that right now. On Footyology, wrap around. So the unusual time slot of a Wednesday evening for the beginning of round nine, and uh, it saw, wow, an emphatic performance by Richmond. 41-point victors over the Western Bulldogs. 13 goals, 12-90 to the Bulldogs, 7-7. 49, three goals to Jake Arts, who's starting to have a bit of an impact uh, as a small forward for the Tigers. Three goals and an imperious performance by the peerless Dustin Martin. Gee, he was good to watch last night. Two each to Castagna and Lynch. Uh, for the Doggies, three to Mitch Wallace, two to Bruce, and two to Vandermeer. This was vintage Richmond Football Club finding right from the start of this game, uh, built up a 20-point lead by quarter time, improved on that with a slashing six-goal second term, game essentially all over at half time with a seven-goal margin, and uh, pretty much just a holding mission from there. But Gee, Richmond's pressure has been getting better and better by the week. I think the obvious difference last night was that they were able to capitalise a lot more effectively on that pressure with scores. And uh, Rewalt, Lynch, both looking dangerous. Arts bobbing up opportunistically. Uh, this was Richmond as we've come to know them and a very ominous warning shot across the bows of the competition. What do you make of it? Yeah, this was a team given... Some key personnel that are out, Cochran coming back, but just working his way back into football. So we'll see better from Trent Cochran, not that he was bad. This is a team that may have unintentionally and certainly not wanted to follow the blueprint of last season, where they got quite a few injuries and looked as though they were in strife. But in the end, those injuries proved almost to be a boon because it unveiled a couple of other players and gave opportunities to others. Uh, it's happened again. I'll tell you what, that forward line's interesting because you've got Lynch at full forward, Rewalt sort of bobbing up, still dangerous, but nowhere near as prolific. But almost the most dangerous tall forward is Mabio Chol because he's just 
sucks a live wire there. He tends to play the deepest of the three when he's in the forward line. He can take a good grab. He's also got great game sense and was able to knock the ball on. Uh, just a few contests that really made it worthwhile him being in the side. As you said, as you said Jake Arts, good competitive footballer. Sort of in the mould, a little bit of Townsend, who's gone to Essendon, uh, in that he's a tough competitor, lays a good tackle. Castagna's still a good player down there. Of course, great season so far for Shy Bolton. Not as brilliant last night. Now, I'm sorry I'm going to have to put a line through the Western Bulldogs now. As much as I liked them pre-season and I was sort of seduced and then uh, put on my heels a couple of times, their four losses have all been terrible, haven't they? Collingwood, St Kilda, Carlton and Richmond. And you can't, in this in this tight season where you've got West Coast mounting a challenge, you've got Brisbane a serious challenge and both those sides have advantages. You've got Richmond, the super professionals, starting to, uh, you know, unfurl their premiership aspirations. Uh, sorry, no, Bulldogs have to be counted out now because those losses are glaring and they show some glaring problems. Obviously, Norton is being missed, but Bruce is not a suitable one-man forward line in terms of height. That's not working. Wallace has been good. Bontempelli and McRae. McRae was great in his 150th, should add. Oh, and wasn't Noah Bolt a good Rowan? How about that well, for a plus? Yeah, well, that was just quickly on the Bulldogs, definitely the forward setup, which is the, the most worrying part for them. But, yeah, I was just going to make the comment that similarly to last year, um, the opportunities provided some lesser lights on the Richmond list has, has borne fruit. Um, where You know, uh, you mentioned maybe your child just looks better every time I see him. Bolton having a terrific season. Um, but, yeah, uh, Noah Bolter. And uh, I watched Damien Hardwick's post-match press conference and he wasn't um, shying away at all from the Alex Rance comparisons. And I can see exactly where he's coming from, the athleticism, uh, that mobility for the height and strength. Also made the interesting observation that Bolter came late to the game, started in the game relatively late. So he's football sense, if you like, and Naus has um, perhaps relative to other players been slower to develop. But we're, you know, we're, we've always been aware of the athleticism and as that game knowledge grows, we're seeing just how good a, a key defender he could be. And uh, I was sort of, I was pleased to hear Hardwick embrace the Alex Rands comparison rather than desperately try and, you know, pedal away from it because, uh you know, this kid looks very confident. Uh, who's to say, well, you know, gee, you'd have to be going well to be that good. But um, they've got a real exciting prospect on their hands in him. No, no question about that. Spot on. For the Bulldogs, gee, there's just been some disappointments. Three or four weeks ago, Eastern Wood looked like he was back to his athletic best of 2016 and there were real possibilities with that back line with Crozier, of course, who continues to play well. Caleb Daniel continues to play well. No problems there. But Eastern Wood actually looked shaky, ended up going forward for a bit. Big disappointment has been Tim English because he was three matches ago uh, taking the footy world by the scruff of the neck. And he was poor last week, even though they defeated the Gold Coast. And again, he, he almost looks exhausted. I can see that 
that's probably why they played Trengove to give him a bit of a chop out. And it is, look, it is a a um, testing, absolutely testing schedule for a one-off ruckman. But with the help of Trengove out there, would have been uh, certainly going forward. They needed the height. He just didn't provide anything, and a bit disappointing. Let's just put it down to a young ruckman being really tested by a tough schedule. I think that's a fair excuse. But the bottom line is, Bulldogs aren't getting the expected drive that they thought they would be getting from him, say, as recently as three matches ago. Um, yeah, for the Tigers, it's onwards and upwards, really, here. It's it's not just those players we've mentioned. I thought Liam Baker was fantastic. playing. He plays back of centre now. I thought he played a really good game. There's so much even contribution there. Lambert starting to play well again, which means guys like McIntosh who are on the fringe have to perform every week to stay in the team. And you know what? Competition for spots at a side like Richmond has only meant one thing in the last three years, two premierships and one that got away that should never have got away. So watch out, Tigers. Here they come. Yeah, well, some of us have never jumped off them and uh, you would have thought after last year some people would have learned their lesson, but uh, apparently not. So uh, absolutely looming very ominously over the competition. All right. Uh, was that a go at our... me? Because I was never on them. <laughs> I didn't even have them. Uh, I didn't even have I, I had them being beaten in the preliminary final this year. Without logic, just I had them all right. stumbling uh, well, at the well, second well, last. It wasn't actually, but I'm quite happy to uh, go with that narrative. Okay. Uh, all right, so you're an idiot, fine. Uh, oh, no. right, I, st- I still think they can well stumble at the second last, especially if they've got to go to Perth to play West Coast. All right, we'll find out. There's our review. Let's preview. On Footyology. Previews with Punch. Round nine continues Thursday evening. That's tonight uh, at the Gabba, 750 Local time with a very appetising contest, Finey. Melbourne v Port Adelaide. Melbourne in better form uh, over the last few weeks. A, a defeat last week, though. Port Adelaide, uh, defeat for them as well, but still looking okay. Uh, I'm going to throw this one to you to kick us off. Yeah, it is a, an interesting game, obviously, at an interesting venue. I'm going to tip Port Adelaide. Look, for three quarters... Uh, it was a great last quarter by St Kilda, but for three quarters in a high standard game, Port Adelaide, I felt, had the better of the battle, even though they were down by a point. And they certainly had their opportunities in the third quarter. They've got a very good back line, and I just fear with Melbourne's forward line still sort of feeling its way around. I see Tom McDonald's back in the team, but uh, that won't worry Port Adelaide. They've got very good key defenders. You know, Clory is an excellent key defender, and um, he's well. So who's the other key defender there? I should remember, or I should know. Jonas. Jonas. They're a really good duo, aren't they, Jonas and Clury? They probably don't get the plaudits they deserve. And Darcy Byrne-Jones, well, I was singing his praises after the St Kilda game because I thought he was best on ground. He's now getting recognised in all quarters as a star halfback flanker. So with that really strong back line, they need to be careful in the ruck. They got taken apart a bit there, and Max Gorn will be no easy opponent again for Lynott, so, um, uh, Laddam. So Lynott's come into the team. The, the Port Adelaide forward line, they need Dixon firing, but 
Probably more concerning was Robbie Gray, who only got three or four touches. That was a bit of a worry. So better output from a couple of their stars, and I think they'll get over the line. How do you see it? Uh, real line ball for me, this one. I, I think the D's, uh, you know, gee, they really pushed Brisbane without having the better of that game. They hung in there, which, um, you know, it's not necessarily always something you associate with the Demons. So that was impressive to me. And I think they're, I wouldn't say in a sweet spot, but I think they're sort of, they know what they're doing now. And there's a bit more confidence and swagger about the way they play footy. So I, I think this is a huge danger game for Port. Um, Melbourne might be a bit healthier than the Power too. There's a couple of injuries there that are potential issues, aren't they? Like Todd Marshall, you know, we don't hear a lot about him, but he can be a difference for them in the forward line. He's out for six weeks. Uh, you know, Westhoff came, was dropped from that side, came into the side, probably shouldn't have. Uh, so, yeah, they're just starting to look a little bit iffy for me, but uh, I agree with you. I, I think their form line across the season so far has been solid enough to to warrant another go. So I think this will be a very entertaining game. I, I think this will be quite an open attacking game by today's standards. Certainly, fingers crossed that it is. Um, if that's the case, I'd probably have my money more on court to prevail in it. So with reservations, I'm going to stick with the power for this one. And he, I'm waiting for you to add something to that. You, you always, you always um, sort of uh, excite me that you're going to give me a bit of an opportunity and go for a roughie, but then you back off and go for the favourite. Well, uh, yeah, actually, we should. Uh, so we are. We'll establish here. We're both going for Port Adelaide. Yeah. Just quickly, uh, huge differences between us last week, didn't we? Tip. I think six out of nine differently. Yeah, but and but as, got the same, as you predicted, yeah, we hell. ended up both getting exactly the same score with six. So, but annoyingly, looking... an, annoyingly for me, in a soccer in a soccer sense, I was three nil up, and I coughed up. Yeah. The, I coughed up the win. Well, I was I was copying uh, some tweets from people about uh, you were going to catch me, and I said, "Well, hang on, it's a this is a, a marathon, not a sprint." Yeah, yeah, and, no, uh, fair Sunday <laughs> Sunday saw me right. So interesting times in the tipping world. All right, should be a good game that one. The Gabba seven fifty uh, this evening. If you're listening to this on Thursday, and we are both going for Port Adelaide, I think it's fair to say narrowly uh, over Melbourne. All right, let's turn our attention to a double header on Friday. Well, I'm struggling to get my head around this one. Um, in Perth, Optus Stadium, 3.40 local time on a Friday afternoon. That's a ripper. That is, that is potentially the weirdest time slot we've seen. Yeah. Um, uh, 5.40, of course, on uh, Eastern Standard Time. It is Carlton playing Hawthorne. <laughs> uh, now, this this is an intriguing game too. Now, I wrote a, a column for Australian Community Media yesterday, Friday, about this is almost the jinx round because in this round there are a lot of matchups between teams where one side has a very significant historical advantage over the other, none more so than this one, Carlton v Hawthorne. Hawthorne have beaten the Blues 16 of the last 17 times they have played. And the one exception was a couple of years back and Carlton just got over the line in that by 
seven points. So, uh, but there will never ever be a better chance for Carlton to uh, get a few bragging rights back than this one. Obviously in Perth, so no home ground advantage. Hawthorne coming off four losses in a row. And speaking history here, Fanny, if they lose a fifth in a row, it'll be their longest losing streak since 2010. So for 10 years, uh, they have not, and several times actually, they've lost four in a row, but never extended to a fifth. So that could be some uh, omen, I guess, if you're looking for an upset here. But Pretty hard in terms of form to tip against the Blues. Uh, they were they were good again last week against North Melbourne. Probably should have won by more than they did. The seven points they ended up winning by. But a lot to like about them. They play a positive attacking brand of footy. Um, they look dangerous up forward with you know Levi Casbolt grabbing marks. Uh, I guess the other interesting dimension about this game is that after the uh, long discussion about the treatment of Patrick Cripps off the ball and uh, how he's manhandled by players marking him. Will he be the recipient of a few soft free kicks this week? That'll please Hawthorne coach Alistair Clarkson. <laughs> but uh, it's it's a, a tough one, this. I And in the end, I'm building it up for Carlton, but I'm going for the Hawks, finding, And I'm going for the Hawks on historical grounds. One, their record over the Blues. Two, I'm very swayed by this thing about them not losing four games in a row. Even last... uh, Sorry, five games in a row. Even last year, they lost a string of four. But this is a proud club that places a lot of stock in its ongoing reputation being preserved. And I think they'll be souped up this week, the Hawks. I'm going for them by two points. Really? Yep. No, I can't have them. I just can't have them because I can't have that forward line, Rowan. I, I just, I, I don't know how they're going to kick goals. They have too many holes going forward. Their midfield is, they battle hard. There's a bit of talent there, no question about it. Amir and Mitchell Warple can get some of the ball, but no, I just can't. I, I really feel as though they've got too many players in that team that are past their use-by date. Whether it's um whether they'll get picked this week, whether you know they front up again with a Puopolo and a, even their captain, I think is a light of other days. Well, look, Bruce, a good chance to come back. Yeah, yes, he has a chance to come back, and they desperately need him, don't they? But no, I'm I'm tipping Carlton. All right, so I'm going the Hawks. You're going the Blues. That is the first leg of a Friday doubleheader. The second week being played across the country at Metricon Stadium, 8.10 local time. So a comparatively late finish Friday night. And don't forget, uh, you will be able to catch up on both those games on Footyology Final Siren, our live Twitter stream after the second of those games. It is between Essendon and Brisbane, Finey. Uh, Essendon just bumbling along with a 5-2 record and a game in hand, yet not having really inspired at any stage. Uh, Brisbane playing pretty decent footy and looking quite ominous. And uh, I think this is the week the Bombers meet their maker, finding what well, happened a couple of weeks ago too. But the injuries, they just keep stacking up. And they have, again, Jaden Laverde, who has really started to look promising the last couple of weeks in typical form, has been injured again. He has a syndesmosis injury, the injury of 2020, and he's out for, I think, six weeks at least. 
Orazio Fantasia, who was a late withdrawal. P will miss again and will be out for uh, several more weeks. Kyle Langford, who uh, you might think, oh, Kyle's a bit of a bit player. Well, he's more than a bit player at the moment. He is out suspended. Um, you've still got Stringer out. You've still got Heppel out. Dylan Shield comes back. There's a plus, but they're just running out of able bodies, finally, and they don't have enough depth that they can withstand that. Brisbane, in contrast, just humming along beautifully, and uh, I think this has to be probably a fairly comfortable win for them. Yeah, I can't make a case for Essendon. Like last season, Brisbane seem to have a very sound list, don't they? Not many injuries to worry about. Of course, uh, rucking is their main concern. I think Archie Smith has gone down now, even though I don't really class him as a a top-line ruckman. So Oscar McInerney, who did pretty well last week, will be given the responsibility again this week, and his chop-out will be probably just whoever's nearest the ball at the time because Stefan Martin's not back. But beyond that, uh, Essendon... Oh, there is one injury for the Lions that worth mentioning, Daniel Rich. Um, and uh, Daniel McStay out suspended too. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, by their standards, there is a bit going on. But, yeah. Nothing like what Essendon has to negotiate their way around. I think Stringer was the really big loss, wasn't he? Because that robs Peter and robs Paul. You've got a forward, a dangerous forward, who takes his turn in the midfield when the game is on the line. He's a real match winner, been a brilliant recruit, as I've said previously. But unfortunately, and no hooker, so they can't even swing him forward. They're, they're really stymied, aren't they? No, Brisbane, as you mentioned, comfortably. Yep, same here. All right, uh, let's turn our attention to Saturday, the first on the Saturday menu, 2.35pm at Metricon Stadium. Again, getting a lot of traffic Metricon at the moment. Staying to show a few signs of that as well. It is North Melbourne taking on Adelaide in what could, uh, I don't think it's unfair to say, be a battle for the wooden spoon. Um, I did write a, a piece uh, that you can read on Footyology today, actually, which is a bit of light at the end of a tunnel. I think all the bottom teams at the moment, and specifically these two, they're not basket cases. I think Adelaide have been very close to wins the last couple of weeks against Essendon and St Kilda. Um, and I think North Melbourne, too. They've lost six in a row, but I think four of those defeats have been pretty narrow. Uh, you know, I think if these are the bottom sides in the competition, the competition's in pretty reasonable health. However, one of these sides has to win. Uh, which one do you think it'll be? Just first of all, Rowan, you're, you're a fantastic one for st- stats and records, certainly in your lifetime. Matthew Nix has started with eight losses. What's the most losses in a row you've seen a coach start their career with? I think Damien Hardwick might be up there. Richmond lost, I'm pretty sure it was nine or ten in a row in his first season in charge in 2010. Yeah. Um, yep. uh, you know, another one might be Gary Bacanara in charge of Sydney. Although they might want to have won a couple early. But yeah, look, it's been a it's been a tough initiation for him. Yeah. Especially when your name, your surname is an American colloquialism for, yeah. for nothing. Yeah. Nick's. Uh, unfortunately, I think he stays Nick's just. North Melbourne, as you said, it's quite a competitive game against Carlton last week, and Adelaide weren't able to take advantage of being at home for two games. They 
put on the road now. And they made such a meal of it the first time they were on the Gold Coast and up in, you know, up in the Queensland hub. I don't think they're really looking forward to going back there. The one element I think that probably North Melbourne have to keep tabs on in this game is the fact that the Adelaide forward line, I think, actually has a couple of pop-up forwards that can... Walker's been okay. You know, I'll admit, even though I'm not a huge fan of his, that he has been a bit of a target when there has been none. So, young Murphy looked okay last week. Uh, are we expecting Fogarty back? He's, I think he's pretty close to resurfacing, isn't he? Yeah, the Crows will lose Brad Crouch, of course, yep. his uh, hamstrings, and uh, Tom Doty, uh, Duday, sorry, yep. um, is still in the mix, apparently, uh, which is surprising, uh, given he appeared to have done a hammy as well last weekend. Yeah, that would be a big loss for them, wouldn't it? Because he's a he's a sort of uh, acting captain, isn't he, he at is. the moment? Now, I'll, I'll go for North Melbourne in a game... If Adelaide win, it wouldn't surprise me. In a game that, you know what they say in boxing, the O has to go. Well, certainly over the last month and a half or six weeks, one of their O's has to go, and I'll say it's North Melbourne. And uh, same here too. But listen, we can't let this guy, uh, a preview of this game finish without mentioning uh, Magic Dawes' return to senior footy. Oh, and of course. What a- fantastic story that is. I saw the announcement yesterday. I think uh, Jack Zebel announced it to the whole playing group and he said yesterday it was I think 706 days since Majak had played a senior game of course that horrible incident in December 2018 where he ended up with serious pelvic and hip injuries uh he came back at the start of this year and then he had uh illness a, a COVID scare um and then he tore a pectoral muscle and uh, he played, even we keep talking about his end to the 2018 season, and he achieved all of that with, I think, a fractured foot. I mean, this guy, uh, you know, the, the great pity of all this is that, um, you know, at the end of 2018, we we're actually talking about Jack as a very fine footballer. And uh, now, I guess, he's a bit of a poster boy for return from serious injury and uh, and this isn't insignificant by any means, the battle to return from mental health issues. So it is a fantastic story. And I, I don't think there's anyone in the footy community who wouldn't um, wouldn't like to see him have an outstanding return. It is a great story, isn't it? It is. And I, I heard him interviewed last night on the news, I think it was. And he said something, and really that should... That should cut through all supporters and cut through all ins and outs of football. He said, you know, the one thing is my family's really proud that I'm, I've am i made it back. And I think that gives an idea of where he was, you know, what, what dark place he found himself in. And the journey, the long journey, but the steady journey back to playing league football, you know, that his family's proud just shows how far he's come. A journey that we probably have little idea of, you know, how 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 testing that journey can be for people. So it is a great story. Yeah, one one of nine siblings. Uh, he's become a father, of course. His partner um, had a little baby boy, I think, last August. 
Um, yeah, look, he, he and he's a he's a lovely guy too. And I'll tell you what, you know, um, boy, if you ever get a chance to see Magic Door up close, marvel at the athletic specimen he is. He is he is just built that guy. I've never seen a rig on a person like Magic's got in footy terms. He is one powerful man. Uh, all right, we're both going for North Melbourne there. Second game on Saturday. It is 5-10 at the Gabba. And it is your Saints, Finey, up against the Sydney Swans. What happens? Well, I'm pretty confident that St Kilda can get a win in this game. It's certainly one that they shouldn't let slip, given that even though Sydney had a, a good win against Hawthorne last week, there's another team just being plagued by injuries. And St Kilda... Their form's very good, you know, after that disappointing loss to Fremantle. And let's face it, except for the loss to Collingwood, the two losses, North and Fremantle, were St Kilda's own fault after leading comfortably in both games. So they have certainly shown this season that their recruiting has been spot on. Dougal Howard is really coming into himself of late. Very good defender. Carlisle's had a great season. Underrated how good Carlisle's been. Uh, The rider... Marshall combination is working very nicely. In fact, I would say only at St Kilda's home ground, back at uh, Marvel Stadium, where the pace is probably too quick to play those two ruckmen. It's quite effective on these big grounds at night. And well, do, yep. well, just on that, I, I mean, given Sydney's issues in the ruck, it's an interesting poser, isn't it? I mean, do they do you exploit that further with two big men, or is it more? you can get away with only one and play a more mobile player instead. No, you play both of them. Look, Ryder's, he kicked two goals against Port Adelaide. One thing is, you give Ryder a kick 40 metres from goal. He's a beautiful kick, Paddy Ryder. I've I've always said that. Of of all the sort of ruckmen going forward, he's one of the best I've seen. And he's he's just in really good form. Just Not just his ruck work, but he's marking the ball cleanly, and yeah, he's dangerous wherever he is. So play both of them. You bet they do. And they'll bring two or three players in because they need to rotate the team. Obviously, the scheduling requires that, but they, they can bring Jack Loney back into that team, no problems. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Jonathan Marsh maybe back in the side. A couple of other players knocking on the door. Sinclair was okay last week, as was Hind, who'll certainly hold his place in the team. So, yeah. Uh, St Kilda should win that game by virtue of form and by the list that they can choose from. All right. Uh, I mean, not not to discount Sydney. Pretty impressive. Uh, well, that's uh, a real bogey. That's a real bogey team for St Kilda. You're talking about Hawthorne and Carlton, but St Kilda's just not been able to beat Sydney in the last decade, maybe once or twice, I don't know. But they've had it all over St Kilda, so maybe... Uh, after the breaking of the hoodoo at Adelaide Oval, here's another one we can put to bed. All right. And the next game on You're, you're tipping St Kilda? Oh, yeah. Sorry, I am tipping the Saints. Uh, not by necessarily a lot. I think uh, it'll be a bit of a slog, this one. I think Sydney has that capacity to uh, reduce it to a slog. And uh, we are back on Saturday, the final game on Saturday Evening, 6.10 local time. So 8.10 on the eastern seaboard. And it is those grand old foes of the early 90s, finally, West Coast and Geelong. And um, the good thing about that is it enabled me to run 
a lovely colour shot of Peter Wilson's cork in the ocean goal from the 92 grand final on Shane Hoke's hit and hope column this week on footyology. Check it out. Uh, some great memories there. Probably not so much if you're a Cat fan because the Eagles won both grand finals and a preliminary final in between in 91. Uh, but the Cats, uh, winners, pretty convincing winners over Fremantle in a rain-soaked uh, clash uh, the other day. What day was that? Monday night. And, uh, well, that actually looms as a real factor here, doesn't it? The recovery time. That was a real slog of a game. Would have taken a bit out of them. Uh, they do get uh, five days to recover from that. But West Coast, you can't go par. I think that was the most ominous performance of the year. Their smashing win over Collingwood last weekend. And um, probably just about deserving of flag favourite status, I would have thought, at the moment. Um, where, as you know, I'm a big fan of their prospects, uh, even more so after that display last week. Josh Kennedy with seven goals, but uh, only the tip of the iceberg there. They have a whole raft of players hitting their straps absolutely at the moment, looking very dangerous. I can't go past them in this game at all. No, it's a long run into West Coast when no team wants to run into West Coast as they've hit form at home, crowd, however many they allowed in will allow in, will be clambering to get to this game. Look, they've been given a lifeline in this game because, of course, uh, Tom Hawkins can now play. He's had his one-match ban overturned. And without Tom Hawkins, I think it would have been a bridge too far. As it is, I think it's a bridge too far. But, you know, Geelong sometimes have these game plans. They prepare well for these matches where they're underdogs and they can surprise, I just think, they're up against a pretty irresistible force in West Coast at home. You've got a tip against the Cats, and I go for the Eagles along with you. I guess a uh, a, a big factor here will be Joel Selwood. Keen to play in this game, understandably, but, uh, yeah, the break might mitigate against that. So we are both going for West Coast in that one. Should be entertaining viewing, though. Sunday afternoon, 3.35 at Metricon Stadium, and it is Gold Coast versus GWS. And uh, here's another hoodoo in operation, finally. I think the Giants have now won the last eight clashes against Gold Coast. I think the last time the Suns beat them was back in 2014. Very different proposition this year, however, are the Suns. Uh, do you give them much of a chance in this one? Oh, they've got to be a chance, don't they, Rowan? I, I just think that... GWS, last year's runners-up, they can't afford another misstep this season. They're, at the start of the round, they are outside the eight. It's a compressed top eight. No question you can make a move, but, yeah, I, I just think that they probably hold too many aces, even though Gold Coast continue to impress, even in that narrow loss last week to the Bulldogs. They had their chances, and they certainly put in a good shift, Toby Green, though, he's the man really that needs to be stopped. And I guess you'd expect Cameron to come to the party eventually. Finlayson, not as good as last season, as I mentioned in the preview, in the review of the Doggies game, but nevertheless a danger. I think they've just got enough class around the ground to put the tick next to GWS. Though Gold Coast, 
Wow. It would really be a... I think it should be a line in the sand game for them. If they're to make the eight, they need to win this game. If they're to not be considered the very much little brother of the two expansion sides, they need to win this game. And also, if they're just not going to potentially slide, though not as badly as the last two seasons, they don't want to slide at all. So this is a real big game for them. Nevertheless, I think GWS hold too many aces. Yeah, I agree. Um, good uh, news on the personnel front for the Giants too. I think Zach Williams ready to come back from a hamstring injury. Uh, Callan Ward and Adam Kennedy chances to return as well. And yeah, that was, um, I think, their most impressive performance of the season last week, the Giants in that win over Richmond. So both going for GWS. And round nine finishes... On a Sunday, that's about the only thing that's normal about footy at the moment. We have a round finishing on a, late on a Sunday afternoon uh, or Sunday evening in Eastern Australia. It is Fremantle taking on Collingwood at Optus Stadium, 4.10 local time, 6.10 in the Eastern States. Uh, well, you've got uh, two sides, both coming off absolute floggings in Perth last week. Uh, the Dockers, of course, in that rain-soaked uh, lost to the Cats, in which they could manage only two goals. Uh, probably their least competitive performance to date, really, in a season where they've been consistently competitive. And Collingwood, uh, wow, the situation's changed dramatically for them. Injuries taking a toll. Of course, Scott Pendlebury, Jordan Degoe, that makes it very tough indeed. And uh, their confidence knocked around too by the Eagles last week. I don't know, it's a pretty... Tough one to tip this one because as poor as Freo were, Collingwood just up against it. However, I keep thinking, Finey, every time the Magpies look up against it, particularly interstate, they seem to be able to find something. I'm counting on that. I'm going for the Pies. Yeah, I sort of, I tend to agree with you that logically you could easily tip against them, even though Fremantle, were they the only 22 people on the planet that didn't know it was pouring in Perth last Monday night? I mean, the, the brand of football they played was absolutely dumb. Way too much possession, way too much short kicking, way too much finesse. What, gee, they played a stupid brand of football. They were so frustrating to watch. And I'll tell you what, you can make a good case at halftime that they were going to go goalless after that Fredericks double miss. In the end, they got a couple of goals just by the tide. They they just really played dumb football. Fife is expected back. That will make a huge difference. But I, yeah, I, although there's there's a cloud over Michael Walters now. It's, yeah, you, well there you, you go. Yeah, you need both of them, don't you? Look, I, I'm tipping Collingwood for mainly the reason you did because whenever their backs really are up against the ball against an opponent interstate that you'd think would be a, a, a thorny customer, they seem to come up trumps, don't they? I know all their games are interstate, so that might ameliorate that concept. But I am going to go for the Pies nevertheless. So we are both going for Collingwood. So last week we went uh, different on six. This week, uh, different on one. So there you go. Okay. How's, you... That going to, how's that going to pan out? Well, one of us will be happier than the other. Well, true. All right, uh, that is round nine, duly reviewed and previewed. Uh, Finey, 
Let's take a trip back in time. Vinyl and video. Pressing rewind on our favourite music, movies and TV. Okay, it was your choice of year in this segment, Finey, this year. And uh, what year have you chosen? 1984. Very Orwellian. Oh, yes. Well, of course, Orwellian. But uh, I've got to, when I say, oh, yes, you know how a couple of years loom large in your life? This is certainly one for me. Uh, why? I was 19. I was discovering the world. I was, I'd been working for a while. I discovered love. Uh, and uh, a certain event in the uh, football calendar left one filled with joy, which I'll be expanding upon. But I had a pretty good year in 1984. Nevertheless, I'm going to allow you to kick things off this week. What is your musical choice of 1984? Magnificent album, double album. Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Welcome to the Pleasure Dome. Oh, yes, yes. And it's got it all there. It's got... Welcome to the Pleasure Dome, which goes for about 13 minutes. But it's got Relax, War, Two Tribes. Uh, two Tribes. I did go bonkers over Two Tribes when that came out, I remember. Power of Love. I reckon it's a really good ballad, The Power of Love. Uh, the whole album, even uh, interesting sort of short bits at the beginning, The World is My Oyster. Uh you know, Frankie Goes to Hollywood was bloody big there for a while. He's that, that shuns that star shunned brightly, albeit not for a long period. And that double album was, you know, it was a huge album, and it was, I think, jam packed full of hits. Well, so, it was one of those uh, records where the producer was almost a bigger player than the members of the band. Uh, the producer was Trevor Horn. Yep. And um, the studio, the mixing and the production of this record was a key feature. And, in fact, they were subjected to a few sort of milly vanilla like sledges there at one stage, people questioning how much the guys in the band actually yeah, yeah. were playing on the record. Um, yeah, and no, I, I was a big Frankie Ghost Hollywood fan. I, I found that album a bit sort of inconsistent, but the good bits were were very good and two tribes particularly and great film clip for that at the time too with uh, Ronald Reagan and uh, Mikhail Gorbachev going toe-to-toe in a boxing ring. Um, it was certainly music of the times. If you think of 1984, that era, you tend to think of stuff like Frankie Goes to Hollywood. So, yep. yeah, good good choice. Thank you. Uh, all right, well, I am going for a double album as well. must have been a year of the double albums. Mine's at uh, probably the other end of the musical spectrum because this is a real milestone album in the uh, punk rock genre. Although when I say punk rock, I'm not talking sort of Sex Pistols stuff. This was a more melodic and uh, song-driven exercise. I'm talking about the mighty Huskadu and their second studio album. Pretty ambitious to have your second studio album, a double album. Zen Arcade, and uh, this is more than a cult record, Finey. I know a lot of people in Australia probably go, who, what? But this band was bloody big. Uh, they were as big as REM on the college circuit until REM sort of hit the big time. 
and uh, they are a band that a lot of people discover later, and they're a real musos band too. I know a lot of uh, good musos have been heavily influenced by Puskadu. Uh, they a three-piece band. Bob Mould, who continues to produce fantastic music. Grant Hart, his co-songwriter, who unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago, and Greg Norton on bass. They started out as a pretty noisy, thrashy uh, punk three-piece. Even this, though, their second album saw them, you could hear the shift towards more melody and some quite beautiful songs. And it tells the story of this double album, too, the story of a young boy leaving home and his adventures on the way. Uh, 25 tracks on this, standouts for me, Something I Learned Today, the opening track, uh, Chartered Trips, a great song, Never Talking to You Again, uh, Newest Industry, Turn On The News, uh, well worth a listen if you haven't heard much of this band. And uh, they were prolific as well, I think ended up coming up with about seven or eight studio albums over the course of only five or six years. So. This is a very important album in the history of punk music uh, and, and the genre that would end up becoming alternative music. Huskadoo, or Huskadoo as I tend to call them, without the umwarts over them. Huskadoo, incidentally, is Swedish. It's a Swedish board game and it means, do you remember? <laughs> um, and the album is Zen Arcade. All right, let's turn our attention to movies. What's your movie choice? Well, we've had a bit of a discussion about Woody Allen movies, and as you know from my reviews, uh, I lumped them into two groups, the straight comedic. Yeah, the early funny ones. Yeah, the funny ones and the... Which is a line in one of his movies. <laughs> the funny ones and the relationship-based, more sort of turgid ones. Uh, people like those. We're a fan of the funny ones, and for me, it doesn't get funnier than Broadway, Danny Rose, mainly because it's just a, a setup that I can relate to. It's guys sitting around a diner in New York telling stories about this just you know, luckless but big-hearted New York talent agent called Danny Rose. And Danny Rose's client list is the who's who of schmucks, no-hopers, and never-will-be's, you know, crazy acts, dancing poodles, um, talking birds, magicians that, you know, a magician that actually has killed all his birds, and he basically is their agent, but ends up feeding them Thanksgiving dinner and keeps them from dying of starvation. His one good act is this washed-up Italian cabaret singer who... Is starting to make a bit of money on the revival circuit, on the nostalgia circuit. And it just so happens that he's uh, mafia connected and all of a sudden Danny Rose is knee-deep in mafia. He's still trying to hold on to his one good act. He's got his other acts to worry about. To use a line from Rowan Connolly when he talks about Woody Allen movie, Hilarity ensues. That's all I can tell you. It, it, it's just, a, a, for me, rollicking great fun. And, you know, it, quite a few times, they, you know, Danny Rose is being, because he has a love interest in it, interestingly, Mia Farrow, uh, controversially Mia Farrow, but uh, he is mistaken for being a mafia-connected hitman or, or somebody with mafia connections, and he, he has to convince people that he shouldn't be assassinated and he regularly uses the line because he doesn't want to be 
he doesn't want to talk over these people, and he say, and he uses. Uh, in no ways am I meaning to be. Um, uh, now I can't remember the first word he uses. I, I don't want to be something or didactic, but he keeps saying it throughout the movie. Typical Woody Allen. It, it's very funny. I'm trying to remember which Woody Allen. It might be Zellig, I think. Where uh, no, it's, it's, I can't remember which movie, but one. Of, or maybe it's Sleeper. Someone comes back from the future and uh, and and they say, "Oh, we remember your movies, particularly the early funny ones." <laughs> all right, that's great. Uh, that says it all. Well, speaking of funny movies, I, I reckon there are two. I know this is my my take on it, but for me, there are two iconic comedy films. Funny, I love them both dearly. One of them is Flying High or Airplane, if you are anywhere else but Australia. Uh, a much-loved film, but this film is much-loved as well. I will never forget the first time I saw this. I actually was lucky enough to see, pretty sure it was the preview of it in 1984 and uh, didn't know much about it and uh, wasn't even sure if it was serious or not. Uh, You know where I'm going with this? It's about music. It's about a band. It is. This is Spinal Tap. Now, what a great movie. Uh, a cult movie that became a popular classic, I think, because I was having a bit of a brush up on the history of it. It didn't actually, it went okay, but it wasn't a smash hit or anything at the box office by any means. But as time has gone on and more people have seen this, it has just become one of those absolute uh, popular classics. Uh, The story of a pompous, overblown English heavy metal band on a what proves to be a disastrous tour of the US, uh, directed by Rob Ryan in this film brilliantly, and he plays a role too as the director of the documentary, Marty DeBergie. Um, and it follows, uh, the drummer is incidental, and as uh, is a recurring storyline in Spinal Tap, they go through a succession of drummers. So one of them spontaneously combusts the other one chokes on vomit, someone else's vomit, and uh, they work their way through several drummers. Uh, but the main characters, uh, Christopher Guest plays brilliantly, Nigel Tufnell, the somewhat thick lead guitarist. Uh, Michael McKean plays David St. Hubbins, his uh, sparring partner as the creative force of the band. And Harry Shearer, of course, uh, so many voices on The Simpsons, plays brilliantly Derek Smalls, the sort of world-weary and slightly bemused at the immaturity of the other two. Uh, He is the bass player. Um, If you haven't seen Spinal Tap, come on, how many people haven't seen this film? If you haven't, make sure you do. If you've got any interest in music and you haven't seen Spinal Tap, what are you doing? Because this rips off every heavy metal um, rock documentary cliche in the book. In fact, Important historically, this film, Fine, he's come to be known as uh, a pioneer of the mockumentary genre. Favourite scenes, the discussion with Nigel where he's talking about his favourite amps and he shows Marty DeBergie the special one that goes up to 11. <laughs> uh, yes, and uh, Marty says, well, why don't you just make 10 louder and make that uh, be the top number, to which Nigel's response is, this one goes to 11. Um <laughs> These songs like Big Bottom, Big Bottom, Big Bottom, talking about mud flaps, my girl's got them. Uh, the scene where they get lost on their way to the stage in Cleveland and have to seek directions from a janitor. And um, 
I think my favourite scene, finally, where they, in desperation, resort to a theatrical um, uh, interpretation of their song Stonehenge <laughs> and organise the building of a huge Stonehenge monument and... Um, Somehow the uh, the directions get misinterpreted, and the artist creates a model, a very small model, which, as Nigel Tufnell memorably puts it, was in danger of being crushed by a dwarf. Um, so that is it. It is just laugh after laugh. This movie, I love it dearly. Uh, if you haven't seen it, please do. If you have seen it, watch it again for about the thirtieth time, like I have. In fact, I, I think I may have seen this movie more than any other movie in my life. Spinal, this is Spinal Tap, my movie of 1984. All right, what's your TV show? Okay, it's a uh, spin-off from Not the Nine O'Clock News, which I loved a lot, and became just as successful, if not more so. Alas, Smith and Jones. Um, ah, yes. Alas, Mel Smith passed away in 2013. That was a bit of a shock, Did wasn't he? it? Yeah. Gee, I didn't know that. Oh. Yeah, he passed away seven or eight years ago now. But Griff Reese jones is still with us. Um, this was a spin-off from Not the Nine O'Clock News, uh, which included Smith and Reese jones along with uh, the likes of Rowan Atkinson and Pamela Stevenson. Actually, just quickly on Griff Reese jones he was, I, I don't know why this flashed into my head, but this is how I remember him. The episode of The Young Ones, Bambi, where they're on University Challenge. Yeah, Isn't yeah. that him playing the quiz master? Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah, right. Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> no problems. Yeah, so it, it's basically sketch comedy. They retained many of the writers, including the well-renowned Clive Anderson. So the quality remained. And uh, a bit of a feature of it was when they went head-to-head. And it was just a profile shot of the two of them talking. Sort of um, Griff Reese jones as the know-all and uh, Mel Smith as the know-nothing, even though often turned out to be by the end of the sketch, smarter of the two. There were many famous sketches. My favourite, many people's favourite was, um, was it Gerald the Talking Gorilla? Um, <laughs> who had been taught a few basic, you know, so tonight on Naturalists Live, we have so-and-so, and he claims to have taught a gorilla some basic words, some basic signs for words, and they sort of start talking, yes, yes, I've been with Gerald now for um, almost a decade and I've been able to impart on him some basic speech, a couple of basic words, and Gerald's sitting there sort of looking at his fingernails. This is somebody in a gorilla suit, but ostensibly a gorilla. And he goes, uh, actually, it's eight years. <laughs> and it goes on from there where he interjects and is far more erudite than the man who claims to have taught him a few basic words. But, yeah, good... <laughs> Good quality comedy, and it went from 1984 all the way through to 1998. Oh, gee, that, that is a fair run. I didn't realise 14 that years, long. but only 10 series. So they sort of spaced them. They do one every couple of years, sort of. Yeah. No, I did, I did like that show. All right, I'm going with a comedy as well, an American comedy. Um, this one also had a lengthy run, eight years, 193 episodes. Unfortunately, this country was always shunted into late night spot on Channel 10. Uh, but I think it used to come on after, um, was it Sports Tonight or whatever it was? It was a good, it was part, became part of my viewing routine. I'm talking about Night Court. 
and that featured uh, the character Judge Harry Stone, played by Harry Anderson. Uh, Marky Post played public defender Christine Sullivan for most of the show. Uh, probably the star of the show, John Larroquette, played the narcissistic, sex-obsessed uh, prosecutor, Dan Fielding, and then uh, Richard Mole as the um, uh, bailiff, the uh, big oafish character, Bull Shannon. And uh, it was about a, a night court in New York and the weird and wonderful characters who would bob up in the course of the hearings. Um, the series was created by the same guy who'd worked on Barney Miller in the 70s. So it sort of has that same flavour about it. But um, for its time, you know, I, I think it was, it was pretty sharp and made some pithy observations and it was just good fun. Um, and remarkably consistent too. And the characters were well fleshed out and nice characters. You know, there was even Dan Fielding. I mean, he had a, Dan Fielding had a, an upside, hard to believe though it was, but always got, gave me a few good laughs. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. You enjoyed this one too, didn't you, Fine? Loved it. And it was on late at night, which was absolutely perfect because Night Court was a late night session court in New York, which basically ran, you know, with, would be hearing cases past midnight. So there was always that sort of late night yawny feel to the uh, court staff. And if you're watching it roughly at the same time, they were hearing cases. Uh, interestingly, uh, there was a recurring singer because Judge Harry's favourite singer, do you know who he was? And he appeared in quite a few episodes. I can't remember. The no. Velvet Fog, Mel Torme. Oh, yeah, right. So, yeah, Bill Tormay fans rejoice because he's in a few episodes. But like you, I found it really a bit of a gem late at night when in the days before cable TV and, you know, and all the choices that we have now, it was a bit of a gem when most stations were heading into infomercials and dreck. Here we had something to really, you know, hang Harry's hat on because he used to wear a hat. All right, uh, a lot of common ground in our selections uh, yeah, there is. today. That that is good. Is there any common ground in our footy choices? What's yours? You bet there's common ground because I have gone for the 1984 preliminary final, which is Ooh. probably a great entree to what you're going to do. The day Collingwood were humiliated. This can I just give you a number? 133. Yeah, you know what? I reckon Essendon took the pedal off the the pedal off the metal as well because at three quarter time they're up by 99 points after a very disappointing third quarter which they only extended their lead by 15 points look you know eight goals to two in the first quarter game's probably over but you know as you pointed out in your rant last week Essendon supporters are nervous so you wouldn't have been exactly rushing off to the MCG quite yet, but by half-time, 17-6 to three goals, six. A joke. <laughs> and, and I think, I could be wrong, but I've got a feeling at that stage, all three of Collingwood's goals... Well, that, hang on, now right. you're stealing my thunder. Oh, sorry, sorry. Well, no. that's the great highlight of the game because, I mean, Collingwood <laughs> supporters can tell the joke who kicked five goals in the 1990 grand final. Answer Essendon, Correct. Uh, yes, I didn't. I didn't think I needed to answer. Everyone knows that one. Yeah. No, but a big joke is of the five goals Collingwood kicked in the 133-point loss, three of them were by 
Essendon champ, Ron Andrews, in his last game of footy. He only played six games. <laughs> he only played six games for Collingwood. And he kicked three out of their five in that humiliation. I mean, more power to him. What people don't, I don't know how many people recall this, but Leon Baker kicked six goals in that game. Oh, yeah. No, he, sure. I mean, the, the two standouts of that game were Baker kicking six and Paul Vanderhaar, his first half that day. He ended up, they ended up taking him off the ground, I think, halfway through the third quarter because he, he might have had a minor knock. But he took something like 12 marks and a half. He was absolutely on fire, and he kicked four, I think. Yeah, uh, he, he he took – yeah, maybe – I'll tell you who else played well was Terry Danaher, 12 marks, three goals. Daisy Williams, four goals. Mark Harvey, four goals. You know, this was, if nothing else, what a wonderful way to lead into a grand final by playing and humiliating the arch rival. So it sets the scene, really, for one of the great grand finals. But it behooves me to remind people of that great preliminary final, record-breaking win of 133 points. So over to you. What happened the week after? Well, just quickly, big shout-out to Mike Sheehan, too, who I've never <laughs> forgotten or forgiven him for this. I remember his big Evening Herald preview tipped Collingwood and uh, tipped a straight sets exit for the Bombers after losing the second semi to Hawthorne. There was, uh, one, there was one interesting thing about this game. Now, even though they weren't all related, there were four Shaws who played. <laughs> ah. For sure. Four of yes. them. Yes. Uh, Tony, Neville, Gary, and uh, uh, who's the one I'm missing? Tony, Neville, Gary. And the regularly long-sleeved... Uh, Derek. Oh, Derek Shaw was still around then? Yep. Wow. So Neville... Yeah, okay. So, you, got, you know, it's, it's an amazing four shores, isn't it? Uh, for sure. Um, and no Ray. And no Ray. And no Robert for Essendon. Uh, all right. Uh, the following week. Okay. Now, I did mention 1984 was one of the great years of my life. This is a very big reason. I hadn't seen my – my club hadn't won a premiership for 19 years, finally. I'd, I'd gone and watched them play since the age of seven. Never been anywhere near it. Hadn't even seen them win a final until the previous year. And uh, the pessimism had well and truly set in with me. And I can remember on grand final day, 1984, for 90% of this game, uh, thinking, here we go again. It it was a slog, this game. Hawthorne got off to a flying start against Essendon in the grand final. Built up a lead as big as 32 points at one stage in the second quarter. Missed a number of chances to extend that lead. I remember they kicked several out in the full, sprayed a few chances. Even Lee Matthews got the disease. Uh, Essendon, nonetheless, held to just three goals at halftime. Three goals, 11. Uh, Hawthorne still 25 points up. Third quarter, Essendon really started to square things up, finally. And you could feel that there was something brewing. Well, most people could. I couldn't. I remember spending the entire three-quarter time break with my mates in the outer right near the cheer squad there, thinking I will never see an Essendon premiership. My head buried in my hands. 
Well, the last quarter started and the floodgates opened. If you want to see your side break a premiership drought, I'll ask you, Finey, if you were fortunate enough to see the Saints win a flag, can you think of a better way to see them win it than the way it's the one in 1984? No, that, that's actually sort of my my closed-eye dream of St Kilda being down at three-quarter time against Carlton, probably, uh, and, yep. and just storming over the top of them to a euphoric victory. Well, that's what happened. It is, it is in fact, the largest three-quarter time deficit ever overhauled in a grand final. 23 points. Uh, I've seen this last quarter so many times, I can literally call pretty much every kick of it. It's quite sad, really. But in the end, Essendon slammed on what would become a record uh, last quarter score of nine goals, six, having been 5-15 at three-quarter time. They kicked 9-6 to Hawthorne's 2-1 in the final term to run away in the finish by 24 points. And what scenes there were, Finey. It seemed like the whole ground that day was Essendon supporters. I've never seen Hawthorne in a grand final with less support. Um, Even the sort of public sentiment was on their side. And here's the order of goals, Finey. I I had to do this because it's just, you know how you remember certain strings of words this is one uh etched indelibly on my mind and it goes baker bradbury thompson baker Merritt, weston watson watson nagel there are the nine goal kickers i reckon i reckon a lot of people when i said those names would remember the goals i'm talking about of course leon baker's blind turn the most famous of them all but just a glorious half hour of footy for an Essendon fan still my favourite Essendon Premiership by far. Um, I was 19, hadn't seen a win one. The way it happened, it was perfect. And I think I stupidly said something five minutes afterwards, like, I could die now and I'd be happy. Um, it, it was wonderful. Great to watch too. It is, a, it is a, a, a very important moment in modern football history. So that is my footy memory. And it's a great one. I'm tearing up. <laughs> Well, not only a great memory, but well-remembered. All right. Thank you very much. All right. uh, I think our work here is done. Of course, uh, Footy Fest continues uh, after this week. Now, just very quickly, I'll say this. We have, uh, over the course of the next couple of weeks, most shows we're going to have a total of 12 games to either review or preview. So we're going to have to jettison a couple of segments uh, just temporarily. This will be one. So vinyl and video on hold for a couple of weeks, but it will return as will life hacks and the rant on the Sunday editions. Uh, quick shout out to our sponsors again, Finey. Big thank you to Andrews Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, for the best burgers. I mean it. They're just beautiful hamburgers. Some things remain fantastic and you know what times like these those things are even more important 144 Bridport Street Albert Park Andrews Hamburgers and West Point Properties what a fantastic way to take advantage of a good block of land especially now worth talking to Nick Spartels it could be a deal to be had West Point Properties back to you Rako Thanks to them both. Thanks to you, our wonderful audience. Uh, If you want to support us tangibly, there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can jump on the 
ACAST supporter page right here on this podcast. And uh, offer up whatever you like. We've had some incredibly generous donations so far. So thank you, people, for your support. Uh, you can also visit our Patreon page and pledge your support as a footyology patron. And uh, I keep going on about big news to announce. Well, it's getting closer. We're about a week away from that very big news. Uh, and I think we will be a website well worth backing with your um, tangible support. So you can visit our Patreon page and pledge uh, five bucks US per month. That will help in a lot of ways. Rowan, yes, Finey. Twitter TV tonight. Are we back on? We are back on. Uh, some technical issues yep. last week, but Footyology Final Siren will return after the Thursday night game that is this evening and after Friday's double header. So jump on my Twitter feed, uh, that is Rowan underscore Connolly, and catch Footyology Final Siren live on Twitter or through the Periscope app. That's us done and dusted. Uh, have a good week of footy, everyone. Uh, pace yourself through Footy Fest. We've only just begun. A lot to go. We'll speak to you again on Sunday. <laughs>